It's good to be with you. My name is Pastor Joseph Bianco, and welcome to City Reform Presbyterian Church. Um, so we're a, a church plant, I don't know, I don't even know anymore, 18 years ago, is that right? Matt? Yeah, okay, 18 years ago. And we were planted for the city of Pittsburgh, uh, namely Oakland. We bought a, this building here. We rent space at Winchester Thurston, which is as close as we get to Oakland. So if you're new, uh, welcome. Um, and tell us where we can find cheap uh, property in the center of Oakland. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I'll begin by reading uh, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 11, 1 to 16. It's in your bulletin. And our response will be, thanks be to God. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians 11, 1 to 16. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and the glory of God but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. In all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. This is the word of the Lord. So I remember uh, when I was a middle schooler, and uh, those are some of the most awkward years of my life. Um, I had this leather jacket that was too big for me. It was a hand-me-down. Um, I was kind of chunky, and my hair was split down the middle like a good child of the 90s. Uh, it was awkward. It was an awkward time. Um, I didn't know how to comb my hair and I didn't know how to match my clothes, and I knew enough to stop wearing sweatpants to school every day. Um, all right, so was I the only one? Anyone else here? Can I get an amen? All right, thank you. Someone. So middle school was awkward. Uh, and here's the thing about middle school. Uh, you desperately want to fit in, and at the same time, you want to buck every trend that you can. Uh, it's like... You want to, at the same time, be unique and yet also accept it as normal. So in our text, uh, we have a young church. Uh, this is their middle school years. That's all new for them. Um, 
As an anecdote, uh, did you know that at this time in ancient Rome, at the Colosseum, I was sidetracked in studying the Colosseum, um, in the front of the Colosseum sat senators, uh, very important people, and then the next section was like business owners and wealthy people with money, and then men, and then the next section, way in the back, were slaves, and then way in the nosebleed section sat women. Did you know that? Um, when Jesus came, women were moved to the front, not of the Colosseum, but in Christianity. They were moved right next to men. Jesus valued and He respected women. Uh, they were new creations, free in Christ, active in ministry. He used women in ministry. And so when we get to this passage, there are some growing pains in this church. And this church isn't sure exactly how uh, women should be acting in church. Should they wear head coverings? Does their hair count as a head covering? Should they dress like women? Should they have long hair or short hair? Who knows? And you know what? There is still a temptation for us today. A temptation to buck the norm. Even to wrestle with, what do I wear to church? To understand what this passage is talking about. So Paul's desire for the Corinthian church is to embrace their identities in Christ while not losing sight of the fact that there are earthly realities that remain, like marriage and headship and cultural differences that exist between men and women. His desire is that church worship might be a place where the biblical picture of men and women are properly and respectfully depicted. All of this falls under the way in which every member of the body of Christ images Christ. So, Paul urges the Corinthian church to act as the proper image of Jesus, unique to their gender and their marital status. So, we're going to look at this truth by answering three questions. The first is, what is headship? The second is, what are head coverings? And the third is, what are the implications for our lives? So, let's start with what is headship? Um, now, I recognize as I preach this sermon, we have a wide variety of people in our congregation. Um, some of you, uh, maybe this is your first time in church. And for some of you, um, you've grown up in a Reformed church most of your life. And so for the church, uh, you have a context in which to grasp this text, or at least begin to wrestle with it. And for others, just reading this text could make you want to get up and leave. Um, so here's my encouragement. I want you to hang on to the end. Uh, hear Paul out and don't make assumptions of what you think he is saying and what's going on in this passage. And I think we'll find all of ourselves challenged at the end of it. Uh, second, I don't want you to miss the gospel. Uh, the center of our faith is Jesus. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. And we are called to obey Him as Lord and as Savior. This means uh, primarily we hold the gospel tight, but secondarily we don't get to pick and choose what we want out of the Bible. It's the Word of God, and we have to wrestle with all of it. Now, you can have a differing view from the one I'm going to present tonight on men and women in the church, and we can still agree on the gospel. Um, but if you do take a different view, make sure that it is biblical, that you're wrestling with the Word of God. All right, third, and this moves us into the text, 
uh, probably around the turn of the century, like this last century, um, another view of husbands and wives entered into modern culture in the church, and that's called egalitarianism. Um, egalitarianism. So, at this church, we affirm a different view. It's called complementarianism. So, egalitarianism is the belief that men and women share equally in the duties of husband and wife. Uh, complementarianism is the belief that a husband and wife complement one another in their roles. So, everything is not split equally, but the strengths of the unique persons are complemented. So, theoretically, a woman could be a doctor working full-time, and the man could stay at home with the children. That's how they're gifted, and it would still be complementarian. All right. Both of these views, and please hear me, me, uh, are not 1950s male-dominated traditionalism. And you know what I mean. Uh, There's a song my dad would sing. Uh, It it goes, um, throw another log on the fire, cook me up some bacon and some beans, go out to the car, jack it up and change the tire, sew my socks and fold my old blue jeans. Come on, baby. Tell me why are you not leaving me? So there's no room for male-dominated traditionalism in marriages in this church or in the Bible, because it's just not there. So we hold a complementarian view, and before I even touch on headship, I need to flesh our view out a little more clearly. Now let's assume for a minute that Paul, the Apostle Paul, read Genesis 1, okay? I think it's a good assumption. Um, And looking at this text, you may wonder if he did, because in Genesis 1, both Adam and Eve are formed in the image of God. Uh, They share equally as image bearers of God. Here we read um, that man is in the image of God and woman is the glory of man. So let's assume that Paul is not daft and that he means something else. Let's also assume that Paul reads the differences listed in Genesis 1 between and one and two between men and women. For example, that God made man with a role, which was to work the garden and name the creatures, and that He made woman with a role, which was as the helper of her husband. Now, remember, helper in the Bible is not unnecessary assistant. It's not what it means. But helper is the same word given to the Holy Spirit as part of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, woman is a helper in the sense that Adam cries, at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, essentially, I could not do this without you. You are necessary. You are not optional. All right, so, in creation, we have distinct genders and we have distinct roles. Lastly, we have distinct curses. The curse of the man is different than the curse of of the woman. A man's curse is toil in his labor, and the woman's curse is pain in childbirth, and that her husband will rule over her. Lastly, and this will get into headship, in the creation story we see co-regency. Co-regency, meaning Adam and Eve in chapter 1 together are given a command, and the command is to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. They are rulers. They are the king and queen over creation. Now, briefly, uh, Ephesians 5 shows us there are differences in roles and distinctions between husbands 
and wives. First Timothy 2 and 3 make distinctions in the church between leaders who are men and women. And so from the Bible, we get our view of complementarianism, that a husband and wife are equal in existence or ontology. They are equally endowed with value and dignity and worth in their existence ontologically. So I need you to remember that word or we're not going to make it through this sermon on time. <laughs> but they're different in their roles or their economy. So economy referring to roles. So please remember the words ontological, meaning existence, and economy, meaning roles. Now, one way we read of an economical difference in the Bible uh, between men and women is headship, is headship. So what is headship? Headship is a call to imitate Paul as he imitates Jesus. That's verse 1. Jesus, friends, is the head of the church. And headship begins with the head. And that is who we imitate. What are the characteristics of our head? Well, he is a servant leader. He's loving. He's faithful. He's patient. He's kind. He's long-suffering. He's gentle, he's truthful, he's merciful, he's forgiving. So I don't know anyone who would not gladly follow a husband like Jesus. So to the husband, headship is leading like Jesus. It is that simple. It is leading like Jesus. You and your marriages are to be loving, kind, faithful, gentle, servant-hearted, truthful, giving, forgiving. Now, being the head also means leading, leading. The head directs where the body goes. That's what it does. And how we lead men makes all the difference. We never lead by demand, because that's not how Jesus leads, or by asserting our own power, or by our positional authority, because that's not how Jesus leads. We don't say, follow me because I'm the man. We always lead like Jesus, humble, gentle, soft-hearted, and with a firm conviction of the truth of God's Word and power. How we lead matters. So, women, how do you follow? Do we follow as passive, mousy, subtle, indifferent women who ignorantly go wherever the man leads? No. You follow as co-regents, co-regents, co-heirs, children of God, co-heirs with Christ. You follow by being educated, by actively being involved in the ruling of your kingdom. Maybe your family, that's your family or your home or your job or whatever it is, the domain that God has given to you. You follow with love and passion and courage in conviction as you too stand on the firm truth of the Word of God. You follow first and always in submission to the Lord over your husband, which means that you never follow your husband into sin, but you courageously and gently challenge him. All of this is following. And you do so with your husband as the head of the family, and Jesus as the head of the church, and God as the head of Christ. We are all people, all of us here, are people under authority, myself, and in submission, myself. And our submission, even unto God, is voluntary. 
He does not demand it, but He attracts and persuades us to Himself. It is a beautiful picture if we get it in order. It is like a painting or a beautiful piece of music where the harmony and the melody blend into astounding beauty and function. It is like a dance, two people in perfect step and rhythm, one leading, one following, both attractive and and purposeful. Now, do you see why I said this is not 1950s traditionalism? Why there's no place for that in the Bible? Why there's no place for male dominance in our church? It is not the picture we're given in Scripture. It's not what it looks like to imitate Christ. So moving on from headship, let's talk about what is this head covering, because I know you're, you're dying to, to, to know. <laughs> All right, let me begin by saying that even if you read this passage as an actual physical head covering that a woman is supposed to wear, um, meaning right now if you believe that all the women in this church should be wearing a covering on their heads, um, this passage, if you read it that way, does not make sense. Because in verse 15, Paul says her hair is given to her as a covering. So which is it, Paul? Is this a head covering or is her hair her head covering? And actually the answer is yes. It's both. You see, when you read this in the English, what you read is the word covering, 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 covering all the way through. But that is not actually what's in the original language. Uh, There are actually three different words in this passage for head covering. Um, In verse 4, the language is kata kephales echo. And then a different word in verse 4 to 14, which is kata calypto. And then verse 15 is another word, para, uh, parabaleon. Kata kephales echo is to have your head and then there's no um, direct object. So you have to supply it. So they supplied covered. Kata calypto is to have your hair loosed. Uh, it can also mean cover. And parabaleon in verse 15 is an actual covering, like a shawl that you would wear over your head. Um, now, the reason the translators all translate every word as covering is because, in a sense, they are all coverings. When the text is speaking of the woman having her head covered or uncovered, the same word is used in Numbers 5.18 and Leviticus 13.45, and I put those in your additional scriptures. And both are references to loosed hair or hair that is let down. So at that time, uh, there were several expressions of how women would wear their hair. Um, Now, we don't actually know too much about physical head coverings at the time that Corinthians was written, but we do know that many ancient cultures used them, like the Assyrians 700 years before, but that's a really long time. Um, We don't have enough information particularly about head coverings during the time of Corinth, but we do know some things in the broader culture. We know that at this time, uh, Greek women wore their hair in these fancy and unique braids and hairstyles. Um, And we also know from history that at this time, to let your hair down fully and to walk in public is what prostitutes would do to solicit men. So married women, we know, that would pin their hair up so they didn't look like prostitutes. So, it is very possible, uh, using Leviticus and Numbers as a reference, that the head covering was both, in verse 15, an actual head covering, a parabaleon, 
And in verses 4 to 7, it's a reference to married women wearing their hair loose when they shouldn't. And why doesn't Paul want married women to wear their hair loose? Well, now it is starting to make sense. Because when they pray and prophesy in public, they look like prostitutes. So, you could imagine two parties uh, who have concern in the Corinthian church. In verses 4 to 7, it's the hair down party. Women who, uh, you know, maybe they're thinking, you know what, For I have freedom in Christ. I'm being used in ministry. I'm a new creation. I'm a co-heir. I'm being included in ministry for the first time. I'm being treated with dignity and respect in a patriarchal culture, and maybe I can go to church with my hair down. And Paul is saying, no. When you pray and prophesy in church, if you're married, if you're a married woman, you should look like a married woman. Keep your hair up. By the way, there's a great article on this, um, this section of Scripture by James B. Hurley, and I can send it to you if you're interested. And a lot of the deeper exegesis I'm getting is from that article. Uh, but he was a PCA pastor in the 1970s. Uh, so Paul is saying that it would be improper and indecent for a married woman to pray and prophesy with her hair uh, down, as it would be for a man to wear a head covering because it would defy the God-given roles or economy of a husband and wife. Now, I was thinking about how to apply this today, and I have a few examples. Uh, For one, if you're married in the church or in public, uh, the first is that you should act like you're married, (laughs) which might sound obvious, but sometimes it's not. So today, if you come into the church and you're a woman and your hair is up, that doesn't mean much to us anymore, or if your hair is down. Um, So, what are cultural symbols today that communicate marriage? Well, one cultural symbol that we still have is a a wedding ring. A wedding ring. Um, Not taking that ring off when you go into a bar or into your workplace or into the church. Um, I was discussing this with Camden. Uh, She made a great point about social media. Camden's my wife. Um, If you're on social media... I suggest strongly that you should include pictures of your family and your spouse. Uh, People should not be able to look at your profile and think that is a single person. Now, you may wonder why is this important, and I'll give you two reasons. Uh, One, we want to portray honesty. We don't want to deceive people, maybe making a single person think that we're available when we're not available. Uh, But two, we want to honor our spouse publicly. I'm proud of my wife. I want you to get to know her. She's my wife. I love her. She's wonderful. So then what about verse 15? Well, if we understand the first section to be about loose hair, then verse 15 actually begins to make sense. So to the uh, women should wear head coverings party, Paul is saying no, that their hair is given to them as a covering. It's enough. You don't need to have a headdress that you wear to church. So if you are today under the conviction that women should be wearing a headdress, and I don't see any women with headdresses, so (laughs) I assume you're not, but if you are, I hope I can disavow you of that that conviction. So we uh, looked at the headship and then head coverings, and now I want to move on to the implications for our lives, And, and there are some real pertinent implications in this passage. Um, Perhaps one of the greatest dangers of misreading this passage as ontological and not economical 
is that you make women inferior to men. You make them ontologically less than men in value and in dignity. So it is possible to read this uh, verse 7 as, well, men are created first, they're the image of God, and women, they're created second, so they're just the the glory of man. Uh, But again, what's the problem if you read it that way? Well, Genesis 1 says both men and women are made in the image of God. The second danger is to isolate the text from the context. Uh, If the text is economical about women looking like married women when they come to church, um, then we have ontological equality. If the text is about wearing a physical headdress to show that you're inferior to a man, then we have ontological inferiority. Now, I've seen the implications of people who misinterpret this passage, and it can actually be very devastating. Um, Women become these mousy, passive creatures, and you don't see the image of glory that Paul is talking about. And I have a, I found a verse, um, I think it will really help you get the meaning of a woman's glory, and it's from 1 Peter uh, 1.24, I'm sorry it's not in your bulletins, but you'll, you'll, you'll recognize it when I I say it. So 1 Peter 1.24, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our Lord stands forever. So did you hear it? The glory of grass is its flower. It's the best part of the grass. When you look at a plant, you don't really pay attention that much to the stem or the leaves. You see what they support the flower. So I used to do ballroom dancing, and I remember one instructor saying to me something to the effect of, Joseph, you are like the steady structure of the dance. Um, You're really only there for the purpose of the woman being displayed. When you ballroom dance, people look at her, not you. So it is possible to twist this passage, to make it mean the opposite, to have mousy, passive Women, and I want you to hear this. Women, you are the glory of man. You are called to shine. And any husband worth his salt will help you find ways to blossom. So that is one implication of this passage. A second and equally important implication comes from verses 14 to 16, and I'll just reread this. Um, Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. In these verses, Paul says that nature itself teaches that hair length is somehow correlated with our gender. Now, again, we can take this out of context. Um, Some people can't have long hair. Um, Some men are bald. (laughs) Uh, For example, in many cultures, hair is unmanageable if it's very long, and so women will cut it short. Uh, In this Corinthian culture, generally men did have short hair and women had long hair. That was a cultural norm. So as Paul's saying, all women today ought to have uh, long hair. What is the principle? And the principle is that regardless of the culture or time we find ourselves in, you should be able to both express and honor the differences between men and women. 
By express, I mean that women should look like women and men should look like men. If you are in a short hair culture, I'm sure there are other ways that that culture distinguishes men from women. Uh, Whatever culture you are in, Paul is saying that those distinctions are to be celebrated because of our nature, meaning our genders. We are different, male and female. Now today, there's actually a large movement in the broader culture towards androgyny. And I'm seeing this all the time. You know, I go to the store, I'm walking in the store, someone walks by me, and I'm not sure if that was a man or a woman that passed me. Um, More than this, gender fluidity is growing in popularity. This is the belief that I could look entirely like a man and identify as a woman. So Pastor Matt, uh, when we were discussing this text, was telling me a story when he was at the swimming pool, uh, and there was a man there wearing a woman's red bathing suit. Um, But the man had a full beard. The man was not trying to look like a woman. He wasn't trying to look like a man. He was intentionally trying to look like a man and a woman. So why is this happening today? Friends, please hear me carefully on this. Sin will always bring a temptation to distort God's good creation. If it is good that God created us male and female then sin will try to make it androgynous. If we are made in God's likeness or nature, then sin will tempt us to go against God's nature. So what is the answer? Is the answer to, you know, flip the script and wear clothes and jewelry that make you look ultra-feminine and ultra-masculine? Friends, we've got to go back to verse 1. The answer is to imitate Jesus, who is the head of the church. The answer is to run to Jesus, who's our example. And what kind of characteristics do you think Jesus would promote? Do you think he'd promote big hair and big nails and big flashy whatever? No, he would promote a humble modesty for men and women. It would be equally immodest if I was not wearing a shirt preaching, wouldn't it? (laughs) So we can celebrate the difference between men and women and we can reject androgyny. And I'll end with this. Brothers and sisters, whether it's headship or complementarianism or how we dress, the thrust of this passage is that we honor God with our bodies and our actions. I don't believe Paul is putting on some legalistic look or a style or an action that he's demanding of the Corinthian church. Rather, Paul is calling them to a way of life where men and women can flourish both in ministry, singleness, and in marriage. And what I'll end with Uh, is the picture of men's and women's ministry in our church. Um, We have a male-led church. We have a session of male elders. We have five elders and four pastors. And we have a women's ministry council made up of godly and mature women. The male elders lead this church. But like a husband and wife, we do ministry together. The women in our church have important and tangible ministry to do. They've often been a catalyst and an encourager for the men who lead. The women's mentoring ministry was up and running long before the men's mentoring ministry was. And I have to say, full honesty, that we got many of our cues from looking at the women. We have a partnership, a love, a mutual respect for the economic differences that exist between a man and a woman that God has placed in Scripture while maintaining an ontological equality. So my hope is that you would see this picture as a picture of imitating Jesus for the good and the growth 
of the members of the body of Christ. Let's pray.